Welcome to the Denim Dungeon. I am your host, Brian Rennick, a contributor at 49ers Web Zone, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and fellow contributor, but most importantly, good buddy, Timbo Slice. Tim, how's it going, man? Not too good, Brian. Uh, <laughs> it it's a l- feel a little lost right now. It's a little tough. That game was difficult to watch i think that's the best way i can put it i'm just i'm real sad i'm looking for other jobs to cheer me up online <laughs> trying to increase that know. side hustle that side hustle because talking about the 49ers right now makes me sad so i'm trying to figure out how i can narrate books on, on the side <laughs> nice. hustle to make some extra coin i like it some you know. quan some extra quan Oh, good word. Speaking of Quan, dude might have a high ankle sprain. What's going on? Yeah. Um, I don't know. They they said he it's a possible high ankle sprain. Um, I'll be perfectly honest with you. That news came out and you know, if if I could embody anything, it was the shrug emoji. Um, I don't feel like Quan has played very well this year. And you know, obviously on a defense that is as decimated as this 49ers defense is with injuries, losing another starter probably isn't, you know, an ideal situation. But at the same time, I don't feel like Quan has really done a whole lot this season. And so, you know, I don't know that it would be a big loss in terms of his production on the field. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a loss in terms of leadership or, you know, leading the hot boys. But um, you know, I really do think that uh, it's Fred Warner's it's Fred Warner's linebacking core now, and 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 he'll continue to lead. And so, yeah, he may have a high ankle sprain. We'll see, but ultimately, mm, shrug. He did, yeah. I mean, he did bring some swagger to the Niners last year, but when Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins can hang forty plus points on you, um, basically put the game out of reach in the first half. Uh, in the first the quarter, kind of uh, the defense kind of lost their swagger, and yeah, you're right. I think maybe we lose, uh, we lose some of his his excitement in terms of what he brings emotionally to the team. But if he's not able to go, we may have a little bit lesser of a talent that steps in, but has probably some some better fundamentals and is probably a little bit more secure of a tackler. And that might be what the 49ers need right now is they need, they might need to get back down to basics and do, do things correctly instead of trying to be outstanding and overachievers in every position. We need solid, we need fundamental moving forward. You know, and, and if, if Quan has to miss extended time, you know, I know that they, they believe in, uh, Demetrius Flanagan Foles. I know that they believe in uh, Aziz Al Shair, but I think one of the things that could be interesting is instead of just trying to plug and play a linebacker, what would it look like to have Tarvarius Moore jump in and kind of a hybrid linebacker safety role? I think that could be kind of cool to see. Um, you know, kind of a a big nickel, if you will. I don't know. It'll be interesting. But uh, we forgot to say it up top. This is a terrible Tuesday. Uh, we do apologize. This is going to come out on a Wednesday. We are recording on this terrible Tuesday. Uh, we both were exhausted last night, and we both said, hey, you want to record tomorrow? And the answer was yes. And so here we are recording on a Tuesday. But, 
Yeah, I mean this was this was a this was a game that most expected the 49ers to win. Some expected them to blow out the Dolphins just like they were expected to blow out the Eagles the previous week, and they lost both of those games. And so really, you know, with with two relatively lackluster performances in the last two games, we kind of wanted to switch it up a little bit. Um, we'll do some news and notes in here. Uh, we will uh, do some mailbag, but I kind of just wanted to just kind of talk through what what we're seeing in these first five weeks. And so, um, you know, these were, I guess, what you would call some conclusions that uh, that I have drawn in the last few days after watching that performance. And so I just kind of want to throw them out. I want to see your reaction, uh, whether you agree, disagree, whatever the case may be. So the first one that I came to is that um, the online issues that we're experiencing as a team right now, uh, specifically the the pass blocking issues, stem from the fact that this line is built to excel in the zone run scheme and pass blocking is secondary and kind of dependent upon deception. And so, you know, what do you, what do you think? Do you think that that that's a valid, you know, observation or or do you think it's something different? Well, you bring up a very good point because both of the Shanahan offensive schemes all predicate on establishing the run first. They they build off of that foundation. The zone read scheme, yes, you want line linemen who are who are fast, who are are good on their feet, who are powerful in the run game, and they can create holes for running backs to be able to find and cut through. You're right. Yeah. The the strength of the 49ers offensive line is not pass protection. That's not what this offensive line was was built to be able to do. And it shows when the 49ers fall behind, they have a very hard time setting back, basically playing backwards and saying, all right, come and get us defensive line. We are going to keep you out of the face of the quarterback. The, the majority of the offensive line is not making a mistake every single play. The problems that the 49ers are having lately is that on each individual play, it seems like a different person is screwing up on that line. Whether it be you know, Trent Williams letting people go or passing off to Tomlinson and he's not getting the read or McGlinchey just getting bull rushed when he was expecting, you know, a more finesse move. Things, things aren't clicking on the offensive line right now. And that is the biggest issue that the 49ers have. I understand that they gave up a ton of points and one player in particular kind of got burned, but that's more on the coaching staff than it is on the defense. It was he was outmatched. He Sala was out schemed, and it, it that part doesn't worry me as much because personnel might fix that moving on. My biggest issue is what you pointed out in your first question: the offensive line. If if the 49ers aren't in the game, if they're not predicated on establishing the run, and then moving off of that to play action pass, some boot action getting the quarterback out of the pocket on the move so he has some wide open targets, some leak concepts where they come back across the field. Those are the things what, that makes the 49ers offense great, that makes Shanahan's offense work really, really well. 
we have not seen an offensive line being able to establish the run game and establish uh, basically all their rules and concepts and keeping the quarterback safe. The one stat that they lead the NFL in that they should not be leading is QB pressures. And, and, they, and QB hits. And QB. It is. Yeah. It, it's it's sad because it – and all the 49er fans who are saying put in Mullins or trade for Matt Ryan or all this – like, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter who's back there. I mean, imagine 40-whatever, 40 42-year-old Tom Brady back there not being able to move around in the pocket. It doesn't matter who's back there. Nobody's going to be successful unless the offensive line steps up. Well, and it kind of leads me into into the next uh, observation, and you kind of touched on it as well. You know, a lot of people, you know, this is a, a pass first league, right? And and a lot of people see, you know, well, I mean, look at look at uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's performance uh, this past Sunday. You know, he threw for three hundred fifty yards and uh, three touchdowns, almost had a perfect passer rating. Right, first play of the game was a deep shot to attack uh, Brian Allen, who was starting his first NFL game, but the reality of the 49ers offense is that the passing game is built off the threat of the run. Uh, it's, you know, it, it really feels like, at least to me, that Shanahan wants to attack a base defense, right? You know, he feels like his biggest advantage is if you have the base defense on the field and I have speed in uh, at, at every position, right? It, halfback with Mostert, uh, on the outside with Debo and Ayuk, even at tight end with, with George Kittle. And so he wants to attack your larger base defensive players with his speed because that's what creates mis- that's what creates mismatches. And so, you know, he, he doesn't employ many, if any, spread concepts in the offense. And so when they got down, as early as they did and they knew hey we're going to have to we're going to have to throw our way back in here well they aren't built to do that and they aren't built to pass protect like that and so you know getting down by multiple sco- scores early is kind of a death sentence for this team you didn't really see it last year last year they were able to control the game with their run game and and you know and their defense and we're going to talk about that in a second but you know, what do you agree? Do you disagree? You know, is this pass offense capable of coming back from multiple scores down? I mean, it would be, they would have to play the perfect game and each player would have to execute and do exactly, um, you know, basically do everything the right way. And that just doesn't happen on, on an NFL field. There are going to be some mistakes. There are going to be some assignments blown, and and typically, you know, it, what we have on on any other offense besides really Kyle Shanahan's offense is you have a quarterback who is used to being in those situations where he can drop back and he can throw 30 to 50 times a game. We just don't see whether it be Jimmy Garoppolo or CJ Beathard, you know, on occasion we saw Nick Mullins doing a little bit more, but Nick Mullins, it's predicated on getting the ball out as quickly as possible. He doesn't hold the ball very long. He doesn't give time for the defensive line to cause pressure. Uh, when Jimmy is when Jimmy Garoppolo is at his best, Jimmy Garoppolo, the the run has been established. The 49ers either are in a very tight game or they have the lead. And after the run has been established, they're able to then get off of that and go into play action pass. And the defense doesn't know what's coming. When the defense understands the 49ers are in a passing situation. I mean, 
I watched enough film of that Dolphins game to watch 49ers receivers running past the defense in one-on-one situations on the outside. Brandon Ayuk was wide open. He had one to two steps on the defender, and if the 49ers had a quarterback that was was confident in throwing the ball deep down the field, they they would have a shot. Like they have a playmaker in Ayuk. He is he is a he's a gamer. I really like what I saw from Ayuk. The issue that I see is that we don't have a quarterback right now that has a strong enough arm and a, a and a and a solid enough foundation to be able to get the ball down the field. What we saw from Jimmy Garoppolo is a player that on two fronts, like one, you you knew his ankle wasn't right. He didn't look right. It didn't look like he had the same spring. It didn't look like he had any sort of foundation on that side. And then the had, part that I don't no understand. no drive in his passes at all. Nothing. And then on the other side of that, he wasn't wearing his knee brace yeah, for the first weird. time. So on each leg, you had issues. You have, uh, I mean, I, after tearing my MCL, I remember wearing a knee brace. And then the first time I went without it, that's all I could think about. Whether it was, whether my knee was 100% or not, you're still thinking about the fact of, wow, this is the first time I've gone without a brace and what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm so surprised you, nobody, nobody either asked that question in the post game or even brought it up with Shanahan. I've, I never even, I mean, I know we both, you know, we both said something about it at the beginning of the game. We both noticed that he wasn't wearing it, but nobody really talked about that. And I think that's a, a great point in, in, you know, in pointing out, like, especially for you, like, you know, you weren't thinking about the game. You were thinking about your knee. And if not only do you have your knee to think about, but you also have your ankle to think about, like your head is not going to be in the game at all. No, and it, and it showed. And Jimmy had quick feet. He didn't have he didn't have any drive. He didn't have anything where it looked like you went, wow, like he looks solid. And Jimmy doesn't have the strongest arm in in the league anyway. He derives a lot of his his power, his deep passing off of good foundational uh, throwing mechanics. He's going to get a lot from his lower body. And when his lower body isn't existent, you're going to see exactly what he got on that first interception where he didn't get the ball on the outside part. Uh, You're supposed to throw that deep ball to the outside shoulder of the receiver. Jarek McKinnon uh, kind of had his defender walled off on the inside. If you put that ball up and over the top so that it's either your receiver is going to make the reception or it's going to be out of bounds. That's where that ball is supposed to be. He let it hang in the air. It fell to the inside and it was able to be picked off by the safety. Uh, that's inexcusable uh, if a quarterback is healthy. And what that showed me is the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't healthy and shouldn't have been out there from the beginning. Um, and then when you saw his second interception sail high, that's just a quarterback that doesn't have that drive. He doesn't have the ability to, to, to give it that umph to be able to, to shoot it into that hole in the defense. And it, it just, it wasn't fa- as, as, as much as Allen being on the defense and, and being called up from the practice squad and being put in at corner, a starting cornerback going up against legit receivers from the Dolphins, that is as unfair to a player as putting an unhealthy Jimmy Garoppolo out on offense. It was a recipe for disaster once you saw a few minutes of the game. 
it was like there needed to be quicker adaptations from the coaching staff and we didn't see that and that's that's one of my most troubling things from watching this game is that this falls more on the coaches than it does the players i'm not saying bail on the coaches i love kyle shanahan i love john lynch like bottom line like the 49ers wouldn't be where they are without those guys don't get me wrong don't get it twisted but they did not like if we were going to go through our our whole scheme or our whole our whole shtick about who struck gold and who struck out the the coaching staff that's fool's gold in the last game maybe they were looking on towards towards the rams and they were playing their divi- you know planning the division early and they thought they'd be able to cruise through the dolphins that's not the case in the nfl man those teams are nfl players are too good the separation between talent and teams ain't much and it shows when when it teams off and the coaching just isn't right. And they got the coaches got waxed. It was bad. Yeah, so that kind of leads me actually into another observation that I had. And you know, the observation that I that I kind of wrote that I wrote down was, you know, it's tough for teams to recover from the sheer amount of injuries that the Niners have had. You know, that that's a given. Let's not let's not use injuries in it as an excuse, you know, and I think, you know, if, if you peruse 49ers Twitter, you know, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday of this week. <laughs> Careful. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a d- it's dark. Zone. Yeah, it's it's dark. But, you know, and there are plenty of people who are like, you know, you can't use injuries as an excuse. And, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to use injuries as an excuse, but. Let's keep in mind the sheer amount of injuries that they've had and to the talent, you know, that, that has, that has been taken from this team, right? It's, it's far more than, than arguably any other team in the NFL right now. And outside of being Dallas, you know, and losing your franchise quarterback, which, you know, I, I texted you and said, did you hear about Dak? And uh, I told you that he hurt his leg bad, but I I didn't <laughs> I didn't give you any context clues. And then I told you don't look, and then you texted back, and it was like too late. <laughs> that uh, that injury it was, was gruesome. It I mean okay one I I mean thank thank God we are we are at a, at a time in in medicine to where an injury like that is something where the doctors will say, Oh yeah, he'll come back. He'll be fine. Uh, thank God for that because what a gruesome injury to, to watch, to, to watch somebody go through. Um, I know that personally, like just being through all the the injuries and the stuff I've been through and the pain that it is, it's really hard for me to watch gruesome injuries take place. I know some people love to to rewind and watch again and rewind and be like, look at his foot. It's sticking it's sideways. Like a train wreck. Yeah. Oh, there's the, you know, there's the bone sticking out of the skin. That that is it's just really hard. But when you look when you kind of take a step back in the in in that whole thing, it the most ironic thing that happened on Sunday was the fact that we got to see Alex Smith come back from years comeback player of the year baby he 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 overcame so much so many obstacles i mean obviously you can watch the e60 you know special um about his injury and all the surgeries he went through and everything that 
that he did to get back to where he was. But I mean, last week, like just thinking about the fact that he was moved up from third string to second string and then seeing him dress and people were making such a big deal of that. And then him getting the opportunity to make his way back and come all the way back was phenomenal. But that happening on the exact same day that Dak Prescott suffers a gruesome injury, very similar to what Alex Smith went through was I, I, it just kind of knocked me on my, on my ass for a little bit. And it it just made me think so. Yeah. And you know, like you said, it's the, the irony of it happening the same exact day is, is crazy. You, you told that to me offline before we recorded. And I was like, man, that I didn't even, I didn't even make that connection, but you know, uh, prayers out to Dak for a full recovery and let's hope that the Cowboys do right by him when it comes to, to the contract uh, that, you know, they were going to have to dole out at the end of the season. You know, we'll see if he gets franchised again or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, hopefully a, a full recovery for Dak. And um, again, like you said, just the the fact that Alex Smith not only made it back and made the team, but he actually played meaningful snaps in a football game in 2020. And, uh, I feel like he, it's, it's a wrap. It's, you know, he has come back player of the year, but you know, to kind of bring it, go ahead. I was just going to say, could you, I mean, if you look on 49ers Twitter right now, you see Dak Prescott actually in a 49er uniform. People have mocked that up. How would you feel if the 49ers went after Dak Prescott next year? (laughs) Um, I mean, that's tough. Like, I don't, well, A, I don't think that the Cowboys are going to let him leave. But B, I mean, you have no idea what that recovery process is going to look like. You have no idea if he's going to recover fully. Um, I believe that was his plant leg, right? Um, It was his right leg. And so you know, that's the leg that, you know, you put all the pressure on, on your drop back and, you know, you, you watch the injury happen. And, you know, like you said, his, his foot is pointing the wrong way. And I just like the fact that he just kind of sat there and not only did he, did he sit there, but he kind of like grabbed his leg and like lifted it up and then like let it drop to the ground. And I'm like, this guy is in like his, his body is in utter shock, like just complete systemic shock and, and nothing, you know, no pain, no anything right now, just pure adrenaline. But, you know, you look at the injury and you go, I don't know. I don't know if he can fully recover from something like that. So, you know, do I think it'd be smart to go after him next year? No. You know, I, as a, as a team, that's not the Cowboys, right? I would, I would want to wait until there was at least some proof that, that he was back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's going to be a gamble, whichever team decides to pay him. Because that's ultimately what's going to happen. If if the Cowboys even elect to put him on franchise again, they're going to be they're still going to be paying him a lot of money. It's like forty million dollars. Yeah, a lot of money, and you don't know the product that you're going to be getting. I I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys actually move on due to the the risk of paying somebody that amount of money because that puts a big hole in your roster if if you pay that amount of money and you're not able to get any production out of it. 
I get that, but that's real, real bad press. Real bad press. Do you really think Jerry Jones in his, what is he, 80, 90? However old Jerry yeah, Jones is. I mean, is. is a Super Bowl worth more to him than his reputation? Yes. Probably. Absolutely. That's a good point. He's going to do, he doesn't have many years left. Everything he's doing right now, he's putting into winning now. It's win now for Jerry. Otherwise, he's not going to be alive to see it happen. They can't go through a rebuilding process again. They can't do it. So they have some of the pieces in place. I, I, They don't have the coaching staff in place, in my opinion. And now there's a big question mark in terms of quarterback. And Andy Dalton's not the guy. Let's just be real. Like the biggest no, water pistol that's is not going to get the job done. That's a, I mean – is there a better situation in the league right now? Like if, if any other team in the league right now, their starting quarterback suffered the injury that, that Dak did. I, again, I, I would have full confidence starting Mullins the rest of the year. And I think that, you know, there would be, you know, a handful of wins in there, but you know, is there any other team that has a better backup quarterback situation in terms of, experience as a starter and things of that nature i don't i don't think so no probably not i'm yeah i mean when we did that 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 thought experiment with nick mullins and we went through all the other backups in the league andy dalton was up there as one of the top backup quarterbacks if not the top backup yeah but bottom line you know the cowboys are in the worst division in the nfl the cowboys have a ton of talent around him and they're going to be okay. They're probably going to be a, a seven-win team, and that probably is good enough to to win the division. Could be in, for sure in the NFC East, and Yikes. they will get to host a playoff game. Ugh, gross. But yeah, so let's bring it back around. So what I was talking about was it was just how tough it is for teams to recover from the sheer amount of injuries that the Niners have have had. You know, on Sunday they were down to what amounts to a sixth string cornerback and it showed you know it just showed but what worried me and you said this as well uh is that it felt like the coaching staff had an inability at least on that side of the ball to scheme around the deficiency of having you know brian allen out there as your starting corner you know i i tweeted out at the beginning of the game um and i think i texted you i said if your starting cornerback is wearing number 48, you know that there's an issue. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's just an issue there. You know, obviously there is, uh, th- this guy was not ever meant to see the field in a regular season game. And so, you know, why why did Sala run the scheme like, you know, Allen was Emmanuel Mosley or even Akello Witherspoon? Um, and then... Why did it take so long to, you know, make an adjustment, not necessarily to get Allen out? And I, you know, there's the narrative there, right? That, that Shanahan said, you know, they were expecting all week to have Witherspoon back. Witherspoon practice on Wednesday. It didn't go well, said his hamstring was tight. Fast forward to Sunday and Witherspoon says, Hey, my hamstring is still really tight. I'm going to dress, but I, I, you know, let's not, I, I think I should be held out unless it's an emergency. And then, you know, the emergency happened. Brian Allen gets torched for three touchdowns and Ken Webster, who was going to be the backup is also dealing with a tight hamstring. And Akello comes to the coaching staff and says, all right, well just, just put me in like, this is terrible. 
And so they put him in. So that's the narrative around that decision. But knowing going into the game that you're starting this guy, why aren't you giving him help? Why aren't you, you know, and, 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 and I know that by giving somebody on the outside help, you're sacrificing somewhere else, but maybe that's a sacrifice that you have to make so that you're not getting burned for 25 plus yard completions, you know, multiple times in the first quarter and allowing your team to get down, you know, so big early that, you know, you can't get, you can't get out of the hole. And so, you know, why do we think there wasn't any help for Allen? Why, you know, why was Salah calling man coverage with Allen obviously overmatched? And then the other thing is, you know, why if 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 Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't a hundred percent, why are you dressing him and why are you sending him out there? Well, I mean, that's that is the question, right? That is that is what we are all asking ourselves as 49er fans right now. But I think, and I, I'm speculating here, but I mean, honestly, I think it's a little bit of coaching hubris, if you will. I think maybe Robert Sala has, he has had a lot of success. He had a ton of success last year. He was considered as a head coaching candidate he started off this year and with all the injuries the 49ers were still in you know in the top part of the league in terms of defense it is still yeah it's a top 10 defense and 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 that is i think a kudos to sala you know based on everything that he's had to go through well that that you know uh, they're still playing at that level but they're but are they and and this is where my question comes in Do, did sala kind of think that they had the ability to just plug and play players despite their skill set, despite, you know, how long they've been in the system to where their, their defensive scheme, we're not going to deviate from the plan because it's successful. When in reality, maybe it's the fact that over the last year and, and for some of this year, you know, last year we had really good players doing really good things in a pretty good scheme. You know, cover three is not the hardest scheme to beat. If if that's your base coverage, there's a lot of plays out there and a lot of, a, a lot of concepts that can beat a cover three when you have really good talent in that scheme and you play downhill and aggressive the way the 49ers do, you can put offenses in a very tough spot when you have the talent, but that first drive and that first play should have thrown up a red flag and you should have been like, okay, maybe we need to start changing things up. Then the second time it happened, immediately you needed to go into something like a cover two and you needed to say, all right, I'm going to keep my corner close. Let's press him. Let's make sure that he is not isolated on an island. He doesn't have to run with a, with a, a top caliber receiver down the field. Let's not isolate him where he's going to get hurt or burnt so that it hurts our defense. You have to you have to be able to swallow your pride a little bit as a coach and you have to coach to the talent and players you have around you, not expect the players and the talent to rise to the exact same thing. There's a reason Bill Belichick is one of the best coaches if not the best coach ever in the NFL. He coaches his players differently Every single time he has a new group out there, he plays to his his players' strengths, and they take away the offense's best strength. 
That's what you do. That's what he does. I don't feel like Sala does that. He doesn't adjust well. He does what he does, and he coaches up, and he does that well. But it's like when you're a boxer in a ring and you get punched, what is your counterpunch? You know, everyone has a great strategy until they get hit in the mouth. Until you get punched in the mouth. That's right. That's, what is that, Mike Tyson's quote? He, I believe so. He, he used to say, everyone has a game plan until you get hit in the face. That And that's the part for me that I'm wondering if that's why Sala was passed up for a head coaching job yet last year, because Stef, it was Stefanski, right? Yeah. Stefanski got the job over him, which made and, me like... And Cleveland's 4-1. and one. And it made me think, did Sala go into that job interview and... Obviously, he could highlight everything that he knew really well, but when a curveball's thrown at him, how does he adjust? And it makes me wonder if that's where Stefanski shined and was able to prove that he can think on his feet, he can adapt, and he's going to get the best out of his players no matter what. And Sala went into it and just said, I'm going to do what we're going to do, and we're going to do it really well. So I, I don't know. Maybe it sheds a little bit of light into the fact as why Stefanski was hired and Sala wasn't. When I thought at the time Sala was having a, had a much better resume than Stefanski did. Well, and Stefanski had just come off an absolute drubbing at the hands of Sala's defense. Right? You know, we we were at that game. That was the the playoff game against the Vikings, where you know the Vikings absolutely got their asses handed them on the on the offensive side of the ball uh by Sala's defense and so you know I don't I I don't know but what I do know is you know these are questions that we can ask but at the same time I do feel like this coaching staff has earned the right to not immediately be questioned in terms of their coaching talent and their uh, ability to last in the NFL. You know, there's been a lot of a lot of slander <laughs> on Twitter uh, since that game about, you know, essentially it's it's like that uh it's like that uh Rob Schneider character in Waterboy. Oh no, we suck again. Like, you know, that's that's the overall it feels like mood on Twitter. Good. And uh I I think, you know, the 49ers are two and three. They should be four and one, but they're two and three. You know, health is getting better. You know, one thing, uh, I was listening to Candlestick Chronicles today, the podcast with Chris Biederman of the Sack B and Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire and Midday Producer at 95.7 The Game. Um, he, do he doesn't like to brag about that. He doesn't like to brag. He doesn't like to bring it up too much. But uh, yeah, he uh, produces a, a radio show for 95.7 The Game Middays. <laughs> oh, you did it twice for him. I know. I know. Good job. But uh, but Biederman, 10 more times and you'll get there to Kyle Madsen. That's right. Biederman made a great point. There hasn't been a single day since the offseason and into this season that the projected starting offense for the 49ers has practiced a full practice together. Not once Base, because of injuries, you know, with the Debo injury and the Kittle injury and the Mostert injury and the Coleman injury and the, you know, um, and you could even argue the, um, Richburg. the Richburg injury, right? So, you know, there is a, 
a lot of talent on this offense, um, a lot of talent in the skill position areas. They just haven't been able to practice together. And that's one of the things that Shanahan said in his, you know, in his press conference, it was, you know, what can you do to improve? And he said, we just need to practice. Well, they need to practice because they haven't done it yet. They haven't done it with, you know, a fully healthy Jimmy Garoppolo, a fully healthy Mostert, a fully healthy Samuel and Ayuk and Kittle. So, you know, like I said, there's been a lot of slander. I There are questions that I think deserve to be asked. And I think, you know, but but I also think that the coaching staff has earned the right to answer those through the continued play of the team and not in a press conference or something along those lines. But the last thing that I wanted to uh, wanted to bring up in terms of the, some of the conclusions that I feel like uh, could be made in, and it's twofold, uh, but they both kind of deal with the front office. And the first one is, uh, and, and it's more an observation. I don't even know if you can prove this, but, um, you know, well, you, well, anyway, I don't think the front office took into account how important Staley was to the offensive line and Buckner was to the defensive line in respect to the leadership of the units. You know, obviously Staley retired. There wasn't a whole lot they could do about that, but you know, they did they did make the decision to trade DeForest Buckner. And there was a lot that went into that. And I, I still don't question that, that decision. I, I, I fully understand it in, in, in terms of team building and things of that nature, but it just feels like both of those units, they seem lost a little bit, um, especially the O-line. And so, you know, again, I don't think there was anything that they could do when it came to Staley. Uh, you know, obviously that was a retirement, but you know, I, I do think there's something to be said about veteran leadership. And those two guys were two of the, if not the most respected uh, guys in the locker room. And to lose both of them in an offseason, I don't know that that there was enough, I guess, credit given to to what it was that they provided for the team. And then the last thing in terms of front office is um, it does feel like possibly the team building philosophy on defense may need to be reevaluated. You know, they they've built this defense and, and and again with the input of Kyle Shanahan, so it's not you know, they're not independent of each other, but they've built this defense with a philosophy of you know, we build our defense from the front to the back, right? We sink all of our resources in the defensive line in the front seven, and then you know, we believe that if we can get the right you know, essentially scheme fit when it comes to the back end with the cornerbacks, we can kind of save a little bit of money there. And the reality is, is, you know, this is a passing league now. It's a spread league and you need as many dudes at the cornerback position that can cover as you can. And I think to me, there needs to be some draft capital and free agent money that they invest in that cornerback position because, as it stands now, it is the Achilles heel of the team. Well, okay. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And if the front office could look back from this point, yes, I think they might have made some different moves. But let's not, let's not lose our cool. Let's not say we need to burn it down and change our entire philosophy. The, the bottom line is the way the 49ers have run their organization, it does work. And it was proven in the fact that in year three, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch took this team to the Super Bowl. They were nine minutes and some change away from winning their sixth Lombardi trophy. Seven minutes. 
Anyways, debatable in terms of time in the Super Bowl. But what's not debatable is the fact that you can't express the loss of Nick Bosa. No one was predicting that he was going to get hurt and lost for the season. I think that you you don't miss DeForest Buckner as much if Nick Bosa is in the lineup. Because imagine even D Ford being out, yes, that was a big swing and a miss in free agency, and he's been a huge disappointment. But imagine Nick Bosa on one side and Kerry Hyder Jr. on the other. You're going to get some really good production out of those guys, and you're going to have Eric Armstead in the middle with DJ Jones or Kinlaw. That's a really good defensive front. Yeah, The, the quarterbacks aren't going to have all day to throw the ball, and they didn't account for the fact that Richard Sherman was going to be hurt as well. We have Verrett back, who is a solid cornerback. I really like Jason Verrett. He's a great cornerback. Him opposite Richard Sherman and Richard Sherman's, like how good he was last year, you now have a defensive unit that is a top 10 defense, no matter who they're playing. We don't see some of these losses. I guarantee you that. So no, it's not the fact that they undervalued DeForest Buckner and what he meant to the defense. It's the fact that the 49ers have sustained injuries to two of their three best defensive players. Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman. Fortunately, Fred Warner is healthy, and he's been the the anchor of this defense. On the offensive side of the ball, now that's the piece where they didn't trade Joe Staley. Joe Staley retired. You just kind of have to roll with that punch. And unfortunately, that was a gut punch to the 49ers organization. They did the best they possibly could in getting Trent Williams to come in. That's a great move. But it it does take time. You see, you see Trent Williams' overall PFF grades as being pretty high, even though he's letting up sacks. Basically, what that shows is that he's a pretty darn consistent player with a few exceptions where he's letting things get by. And that he just needs to get his game legs back under him. He needs to get back in the flow of things. And when you're working in tandem with a guard, you guys have to be in sync. You almost have to know what each other is thinking. When he passes off a player to the inside, expecting that he's going to have his teammate there, and Tomlinson is nowhere to be seen, yeah, the sack's going to be registered to Trent Williams, but if he's doing one blocking scheme and Tomlin, you know, Lincoln Tomlinson's doing something else, then it's just a blown, it's a it there's no chance for success. So those are the types of things that when we get Richburg back, you know, that will that will be such a huge benefit because we could probably move Garland over to guard. Brunskill actually didn't, I would say Brunskill didn't have a bad game. This was the first game this season where Brun, it wasn't obvious that Brunskill was a liability. So, I mean, I, I agree that, you know, of the, of the five games so far, he's been terrible in four, but he was, he was better at, uh, you know, on Sunday. And so hopefully that can continue because, you know, Aaron Donald is coming. <laughs> uh, he's not built Sunday. to handle that. Uh, That's true. I know. And, I know he's not. An offensive lineman, it's not interchangeable. There's a lot of, there's a, a big misconception out there. The fact that, well, he's a swing tackle. He can play left tackle or right tackle. So obviously he should be able to play guard. That's not a, if, if tackles the most valued position in football uh, outside of quarterback on the offensive side of the ball, obviously he can play either one of those. Then he should be able to play guard. That's not how it works all the time. There are some players that are tackles. There are some guys that use 
their body, their speed, uh, to be able to to absorb the like a defensive end coming at you, whether he's a big defensive end or is a fast defensive end, you know, that is a whole different story than a player like an Aaron Donald, who is unbelievably strong, just almost unhumanly strong to where they like defensive linemen on the inside, their job is either to they're either disrupt and get past or eat up to 300 plus pound offensive linemen and not get bowled over, but hold them up. And imagine being able to hold one 300 pound man in one hand and another 300 pound man in the other and have a stalemate and say, you guys aren't going anywhere and neither am I, but I'm not being pushed around. That's, that's what an, a guard is going up against. They're not going up against a guy who can run a four four six four seven and who weighs two hundred and eighty pounds. Two totally different skill sets. Well, and Brunsko, uh, Brunsko was a tight end. He was a converted tight end, just like Staley. And I think what people sometimes don't realize is how athletic you have to be to play the tackle position. You know, when it comes to pass protection and 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 all of that, and 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 going against those guys. Whereas as a guard, I mean, you still have to be athletic, especially in the zone run scheme, because you are pulling and and doing things like that and leading blocks to the second, third, you know, level. But Brunskill Brunskill isn't a powerful guy. He's you know an athletic guy and he's strong, but he's not powerful. And I think that's where you know that's where he can get in trouble, especially on the inside, like you said. Well, I got to tell you, there was only one player on offense that actually played well. And if we were, we were doing our, our little shtick, I think there's only one player that gets 24 karat gold or would be our boss player of the week. And that was Raheem Mostert because yeah, despite all the, all the crap uh, that dude, he balled out. It was great to see, you know, Mosterati back out on the field. Yeah, and 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 this week against the Rams, it's going to be imperative uh, that that they don't get down as early, as big, and as early as they did, so that they can establish a run. Uh, and you know, we'll talk more about this in our preview episode. But the Rams don't uh, the Rams don't defend the run very well. They 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 defend the pass well. But they don't defend the run very well. But speaking of our El Jefe boss player of the week, again, we didn't do those this week. We did say it would be Raheem Mostert. But let's go ahead and take a break and hear from El Jefe Tequila. Hey, Brian. Hey, Timbo. What are you up to? Starting my pregame at home. What are you doing? Same here. Since we can't be at Levi Stadium tailgating in the blue lot with the faithful, we have to do it at home and we have to do it right. Yeah, buddy. Since we can't be at the Denim Dungeon, I'm sitting in my candlestick seats, I got my Shanna hat on, and I'm pouring a glass of El Jefe tequila. El Jefe? You mean that new generation of luxury craft tequila, the good stuff? That's right. Every time I pregame with El Jefe and watch the Niners, it's a win. The faithful do love tequila. What are you getting down with? The Blanco, the Reposado, or the Anejo? You know I'm sipping on that Anejo. It's toasty with hints of caramel and a light spice. Dude, it's been aged 14 months in American oak barrels. It is so smooth. You want a glass? You know I do. El Jefe's as smooth as Jimmy G's clean-shaven chin line. Wow, that is smooth. Cheers, buddy. Bang, bang. Niner gang. 
If you'd like to purchase that luxury craft tequila, go to www.eljefetequila.com. That's www.eljefetequila.com. All right, so let's take a look at a couple news and notes, and then we'll hit up our mailbag, and then we'll get on out of here. So the first one, and the one that I'm most excited to talk about, is the fact that the Niners will be wearing their all-white throwbacks on Sunday night, which means that when they take the field, it will be Drip City. They look so clean. I just, Ugh, they're beautiful. I wish they could just wear them, like, home and away, rest of the year. That, that's just every game. Just every game. Every game. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, those those all whites are clean as hell, and I am excited to see them on Sunday night. And then the other big roster news is that the 49ers did sign Parno Motley off waivers from Tampa Bay. He was an undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma. He's a cornerback. He's about six foot one eighty, runs about a four five forty. But what I was most excited about was twofold. One. Uh, if if you want to learn uh, solid deep, at least what solid DB play looks like, um, follow Eric Crocker on Twitter. Uh, he's at Eric underscore Crocker. He uh, is from the Stockton area. He had a cup of coffee in the NFL with the Jets, uh, but he does a lot of uh, draft analysis. He also hosts a podcast on the blue on the Blue Wire Network with Rob Lauder called Striking Gold. But anyway. Uh, he does a uh, deep dive on cornerbacks and wide receivers uh, pre-draft. And this year he had Parnell Motley out of Oklahoma as his CB10. So the 10th best cornerback in the draft. Um, Mot- again, Motley ended up going undrafted. But uh, I know we talked a little bit about it um, off off air. What was it that you saw in Motley that had you excited? Well, nothing, nothing about Motley is going to jump off the page with his size or his speed or his reach where you're going to say, wow, that, that dude is, you know, he's something special. But what you do watch on film is a guy who, who doesn't shrink to a challenge. He's able to play uh, against the, the receiver that lines up against him, whether it be a, a top caliber receiver or a draft, you know, like Mims from Baylor. Right. Um, you know, he would go up against him and it, it he was he was so sound down. and it, yeah, and he was so fundamental and he was always in his hip pocket and the one thing that Crocker kind of, you know, reported out about him is he wasn't watching film to look at him. Right. Like Motley wasn't the guy he went on the film to watch, but he kept going, he kept coming back to who is this guy? He was watching the receiver when in turn he kept going Who's this guy defending him? And to me, that that says the 49ers may have struck gold in the sense that they were able to get a, a solid, solid prospect. Now, is he the type of a guy where it's a plug and play and you're like, hey, he's going to start opposite Verrett next week and he's going to do just fine? No. Probably not. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of learning. <laughs> yeah. He needs a lot of growth. But one of the things that I like most is the fact that he has a solid foundation and he's starting from somewhere. Like it, it we're not what we're not trying to convert a safety to a corner. We're not trying to move a player in positions where we have some potential here. Motley may be a guy moving forward with all of our secondary that is 
going to be, you know, their contracts are going to be up. They're going to need to be either re-signed or let go. This might be one of those players. He might be that that Tim Harris Jr. cornerback that we were hoping for. Um, well, speaking, I would say, speaking of Tim Harris, he was activated last week back to the practice squad, off practice squad IR. It will be interesting to see because Motley still needs to clear COVID protocols. Now, the fact that he was on a team makes it different than somebody who's coming off the street. There aren't the six-day restrictions, so it's just just like the way that they you know, were able to bring Sanu in. Uh, I would imagine by signing him today, then he could be out at practice on Thursday. So it'll be interesting to see if Motley is, is if he suits up, uh, being that he'll be brand new to the team and, and, you know, maybe only have one practice under him. But it'll also be interesting to see if they uh, activate Harris, at least for the game on Sunday, uh, as, again, another body with, you know, it, it's like the old drowning pool song, The Bodies at the Floor. This is like every week somebody, you know, somebody goes down. And so uh, I'm excited. Uh, Crocker also pointed out uh, he shut down Mims at Baylor. He also shut down Jalen Rieger from TCU, who was the first round pick for the Eagles, who is currently injured and didn't play when we uh, played against him in week four. But yeah, the uh, essentially he, he, he always kind of played up to his competition. So another uh, prospect to hopefully, uh, you know, maybe help this year or at the very least, have to develop uh for more in the future because yeah the, the, I, I was gonna say for the sure. other thing the other thing that i that i forgot to say was you know he made a huge impression in uh buccaneers camp uh, he was an undrafted free agent for the buccaneers and he made their 53-man squad out of out of training camp he made a name for himself he intercepted tom brady i think three times total in camp um, he also had a couple other interceptions against some of those backup quarterbacks and he really made a name for himself and he made the 53 initially and he saw time in the games, but only on special teams. So, you know, he didn't get a chance to show his coverage skills, but, uh, you know, the fact that he was an undrafted free agent to make a, uh, you know, a defense as talented as the Buccaneers again, says a lot about who he is and, and should, you know, at least give a little bit of, of excitement moving forward. Yeah, we need to focus less because I did see some reaction and it was like, oh, signing another player who hasn't seen any time on the field in the position they, they want him to play. Focus less on that and more on the fact that he did turn heads in camp on a good defense. He made a, he made a good 53-man roster with a good defense. The fact that he didn't see time this year, when you start rearranging lineups mid-year with a team like Tampa Bay who is competing for a division title they have that they have that division title in their sights like they know it's theirs to lose at this point i think they might be a little bit more favored than the saints because i think drew Brees he's he's a shot fighter let's be honest yeah so, i I, th- I definitely thought they were going to lose that game against the chargers and the chargers again just absolute snake bit snake bit organization uh missing another field goal um <laughs> They Unfortunate. Just, yeah, they can't seem to pull their head out of their ass to save their lives. No, but but so Parnell Motley is one of those guys where that's an unfortunate loss for that front office. I can guarantee you they did not want to lose him, but they had to sacrifice some pieces to try and 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 kind of put their chips in the table for this season. Not saying we're going to keep this guy for years to come because he's a guy that will take over later. That's who I think Motley can be as a guy who down the road 
will be a very uh, significant starter if he gets the opportunity and there's a place for him. Um, that's the part that we need to focus on, not the fact that he hasn't seen time at the corner cornerback position this year. So keep the faith. I think he's going to be he's going to be a player to keep your eye on for years to come, no matter what team he's on. You gotta have faith for faith for faith. I gotta have faith for faith for faith. All right, let's move on to mail, motherfucker. All right, our first one comes from our old friend B Chap nine 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 nine. And he actually had uh, multiple questions. I went with the first one that we got. Uh, I sent DM, sent a DM uh, as the game was going on. And his question was, is there anything they can do scheme-wise to help the offensive line? And the short answer to that question is no. Um, you know, it is the scheme. The scheme is the scheme. You know, they're not going to change that up. But, you know, the thing that is going to help this offensive line is continuing to have solid practices, continuing to... Uh, gel as as a line and then I think the big thing that's going to help this line is when Richburg does return in week seven you know like you said you can at that point shift Garland to right guard if you want if Brunskill's still struggling but ultimately I think what Richburg brings back is just a calming presence at the center position and 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 also you know the the center is the quarterback of the offensive line and and you know Shanahan covets really intelligent centers because they're the ones that call all of the protections on the line. He removes that uh, responsibility from the quarterback and places it on the center. And so, you know, right now, one of the big, one of the big issues they have is, is communication. And I think that will be cleaned up hopefully sooner than this, but at the very least, you know, in week seven, when, when Richburg comes back. Well, there's a real simple formula that the 49ers need to follow. This will help their offensive line. On the defensive side of the ball, don't fall down by two scores. Just don't. Whatever you got to do, make sure that that the offense is within striking distance when they can run the football. And the 49ers need to run the ball effectively. And they need to stick with the run because everything is built off of that. Continue to feed Mostert the ball. When it When you're in a situation you don't always have to go by the book. And what I mean is too many times against the Dolphins, I watched a third and two situation or a third and three situation. And every single time McKinnon came out, when you know full well that if you run Mostert again, one more time, you have to pick and choose your moments, but use Mostert sometimes in a third down situation because he gives you the best opportunity to pick up four or five yards per carry establish the run, then build off of that. Start with your play action and then start working some inside slants. Do what your players do best. That's probably the best thing that can help the offensive line is not letting the defense tee off so that they know what's coming. There's nothing worse than when a defensive line is sitting there saying, passing situation, I don't have to play the run at all. I'm just going to I'm going to run through this guy or run around this guy. That's the hardest thing in the world for an offensive lineman to guard. So make it easy on your lineman by doing your jobs and and basically playing simple football. Mail, motherfucker. All right, next question comes from another faithful at Niner Faithful Radio at Niner Faithful R and his he said his was a statement and a question, and his statement was WTF, which really, I guess, is is, is a question. But uh, 
And then he Good follows question. that up. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the question that we were all asking ourselves Sunday. Uh, but then the next one was, uh, Jimmy G cool clearly wasn't right. Do you place him on short term IR and start CJ or Nick, or do you put Jimmy back out there? I mean, personally, I think, I, I mean, Shanahan's going to throw Jimmy back out there because, you know, I think, I think to a certain extent, rightfully so, maybe, maybe not, but I think, I think Shanahan's starting to panic a little bit and, Unfortunately, there is a narrative and and it's there because you can't ignore it. But, you know, you look at Shanahan's record with uh, on the 49ers with quarterbacks not named Jimmy Garoppolo and you look at his record with a quarterback named Jimmy Garoppolo and it's night and day. And so, you know, he knows that Jimmy gives him the best shot to win. Now, does a hobbled Jimmy give him his give him a best his best shot to win? I don't think so. And for that regard, you know, I think you. I think you could think about starting a backup against LA, but for me, if you are starting a backup, that backup is not CJ Beathard. You know, I know that, that Shani has a bit of a hard on for CJ, or as I like to call him Gary Busey, cause it's the siege, but um, it's, it was obvious last game that, you know, even with the game that Mullins had against the Eagles, he still gives you a better opportunity to win than Beathard does. Well, it all comes down to, is Jimmy Garoppolo healthy? Um, but I, I do think the 49ers are at a point in the year where y- you can't put him on IR, period. You're not going to lose him for another three weeks. If you do that, season's pretty much wrapped up at that point. The 49ers are now in a, in a and they are in a must-win situation. If, if over the next four weeks, five weeks, the 49ers come out with one win, playoffs don't really seem like they're possible playoffs playoffs but bottom line is the 49ers will have the ability if they follow that simple formula and they have a healthy or somewhat healthy Jimmy Garoppolo out there they will be in each of those games whether or not they pull them off or not that's a different story with Jimmy Garoppolo I'm not so sure Kyle Shanahan is a hundred percent sold on Jimmy Garoppolo right now I think he's watching a lot of the league and he's seeing a lot of these young quarterbacks coming out here with big arms doing amazing things. If you watch the game tonight, you watched uh, uh, Josh Allen. Uh, you know, he stood like a statue in the pocket for about three to four seconds in the fourth quarter, backpedaled about 10 yards, and then threw a frozen rope 40 yards into the end zone where the ball probably didn't get over 10 yards. And the ball was was in his receiver's hands, almost lightning fast. Though, like, not everyone's going to have his arm strength, Josh Allen's arm strength, but they'll have more than Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, the two things he really has going for him is he has a lightning fast release, and he's ex- like players typically rise their level of play and they rally around him and they love playing for him. That's been, you know, reported from people from everywhere, from George Kittle to, you know, Joe Staley. Like, they just love playing around Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't right, he's not right physically, that means he's not going to be right mentally, and he's not going to be able to get the best out of himself and the players around him. So if that attribute's gone, and all he has is a quick release, and that release isn't accurate anymore, there's not much of a reason to keep him around. So... If Jimmy Garoppolo, after this year, 
what is his cap hit? Do you know? What if he's cut? There's no dead money, right? I mean, there's a little bit of dead money, but not a lot. You know, and that was a, like, I've, you know, there's been also some things like Daniel Jeremiah of Move the Stick said he thought that the 49ers should trade for Matt Ryan. But here's the reality of the situation is, you know, Jimmy McGroppolo is making $27 million a year, and that sounds like a lot. And it is a lot of money, like, obviously. But Matt Ryan next year accounts for $41 million against the cap. So the cap hit that Jimmy has right now is really palatable. It, you know, it, 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 at the time that he signed the deal, it was the largest deal in NFL history. And now it's been eclipsed like four or five, six times. So I don't know specifically what his cap hit would be next year, but I do know that it's going to be a relatively, again, obviously if he plays well, a bargain contract to be perfectly honest. So, so I just looked it up. His his total cap hit will be twenty six million twenty six point nine million. That's his base salary plus his signing plus his roster bonuses and workout bonuses and such. Now his dead cap hit is only two point eight million. There you go. So that's that is extremely doable. So if if Kyle, I think Kyle's at this point where he he can he can almost feed Jimmy to the wolves in the sense where it's sink or swim time for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's going to put him out there. He's probably not going to be 100% healthy. And if Jimmy bombs and he's not winning anymore, then what what is your attribute? What is the thing that keeps Jimmy Garoppolo as a starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers if he's not winning? Because that's the only argument that we could come back to when all the haters would step forward and say, well, Jimmy doesn't have this. Jimmy doesn't have that. The one thing you could say is, well, the 49ers win when Jimmy Garoppolo is the starting quarterback. If that part if that part disappears, why keep him around? Why not free up that that twenty six million and be about twenty five million right around there and just punt use, on twenty twenty one? You're not punting on twenty twenty one. You're going to bring in somebody. You're going to like that's just the way the NFL works. There's going to be a quarterback available for around that price or a little cheaper. You might not get everything that Jimmy is, or you might get some attributes that might be a little bit better. I'm probably going to have to do a dive into finding out which quarterbacks are going to be free agents going into yeah. next year, and that'll be in a future pod. But and you know, and and draft prospects because again, if if you're losing, then you know your your draft position increases, and maybe you're in line to to either draft a quarterback at the spot that you're at, or trade up, or or whatever the case may be, um, moving forward. But don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not selling all my stock on Jimmy. I'm not saying we need to move move on him. What I am saying is I, I would support Kyle Shanahan 100% in putting Jimmy out there for the rest of the season and saying, it's on you, kid. Here we go. He's, like, he's, I mean, he's earn, it's, a, it's a contract season for him. He's earning his contract for next year. For sure. Yeah. And if he succeeds and if he does well, great. Like, I'm, I'm still, like, I love... I love what he's able to do when his confidence is high and his his physical physical ability matches what he's able to bring out of other players on the team. I love that. But if you can't win, this this is a league that is what have you done for me lately? Exactly. Like you forget you forget real quick all the previous wins and past seasons because if you're not winning right now, coaches are going to do whatever they need to to win. You've seen I mean two coaches have already been fired this year. Just because Kyle Shanahan has a six-year contract doesn't mean that he's 
untouchable. Bottom line, he needs to win, and he's going to find a guy to run his offense the right way. Mail, motherfucker! All right, and our last one is from Jared Otto, and his question is simple. Is the season over? You know, and he follows it up and he says, I see a lot of people overreacting, but they also did 94, if I remember correctly. Also, was Jimmy's bad game mostly because of his ankle or is his knee still an issue? So uh, the first question, is the season over? I, I don't think the season is over. There are a lot of people, again, if you read 49ers Twitter, there are already people looking at the draft and things of that nature. Again, the 49ers are two and three. The one thing that we have to keep in mind is that they added an extra playoff team this year, right? There are seven now instead of six. And so there is going to be a team in the NFC who gets into the playoffs at maybe eight and eight, nine and seven, somewhere around there. Now at two and three, if you want to be eight and eight, you have to go six and five the rest of the way. If you want to be nine and seven, you got to go seven and four. So, you know, and when you look at when you look at the the schedule that they have, six and five and seven and four look a little daunting. But again, let's keep in mind, offense hasn't practiced together with all of the projected starters. That will continue to happen as we move forward. The offense will continue to gel. The season isn't over if the offense can improve, right? The defense, I think, is going to be solid. I don't know that they will continue to maintain a top 10 status, especially as they start to face some significantly better offenses, but I think they can still be like a top 15 unit. And if well, they the need, offense, they need Mosley or they need Sherman back. Yeah. And, that, and, and, that spot. and, and the news is relatively good on Mosley. I believe Mosley should be back this week. And so now you have Mosley on one side, Red on the other, and your starting cornerback situation vastly improves. But you know, if the 49ers make the the playoffs this year, it's going to be on the back of their offense. So the O-line obviously needs to improve. Jimmy needs to improve. And then, you know, they need to get back to their identity, which is we are a run first team. You know, we are going to control the clock. We're going to get ourselves in favorable second and third down positions. You know, we're not going to get ourselves behind the chains. We're not going to get ourselves in holes so big that we can't run out of. Like they have to, they have to get back to that. You know the 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 playbook, the philosophy that that got them to thirteen and three last year. Is the season over? No. Can they make the playoffs? Yes. Is it likely? I'm going to say no, but it's not. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And the second question was Jimmy's bad game mostly because of an ankle. I think it was. You know, I think. You know, you pointed out earlier he didn't wear his brace. Maybe he had his mind on his knee. I'm not, again, sure why he didn't. I wish someone would ask him that question. But, yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with the knee and everything to do with, with that ankle and, you know, and, and, and not having confidence in it. That's a real – I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a great explanation. No, the season's not over. Uh, and, like, there's no tanking. Like, you don't – no one does that, really until like way later in the year and you have to be awful to be able to tank. Um, Football is too violent of a sport for you to go out and half-ass it because one of two things is going to happen. You're going to hurt yourself or you're going to get destroyed. Yeah. But so like, let's look at the top 
top teams in the NFC. If they're taking seven and you get the division leaders, so the, the division leaders right now in the NFC East, I mean, you have the Eagles, you're not going to have a wild card team out of that. So you're going to no. get one, one out of the East. We'll come back to the West, the NFC North. The Packers, I believe, are going to win the division. And then the Vikings are one and three. The Lions are one and three. The Bears are four and one, but I think that's a mythical four and one. The Bears aren't, th- that they don't reflect their record. So maybe I'll give them two in that division, but really it's a solid, okay, one. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the South and you look at the Saints. The Saints are two and two. The Bucks are three and two. The Panthers are two and two. The 49ers are a heartbeat away from being three and two. I think the 49ers can go into New Orleans and win. I do at that point in the year. It's not yeah. it's not out of the question. They're going to have to be better. But so you look at another one. So now who do the Niners have to play better? They have to play better the rest of the year than the Saints. They have to play better than the Bears. And then they have to play better than the Cardinals. either the Rams or the Cardinals, right? Yeah. So it's not out of the question. Yes, winning the division right now with the Seahawks being 4-0, or five and zero, five and zero. Yeah. Yikes! They're uh, by which them. they which they shouldn't have. By the way, I I just oh god, watching that game, it, it was like a shot to the. It's like a kick in the giblets when your team has <laughs> such an awful day, and then you watch your your arch nemesis basically. A, be, yeah, last yeah, second win. Pull, ugh. Anyways, whatever. Bottom line, you're looking at the. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm looking at the standings, and I'm saying, yeah, the 49ers are right in the mix. There is absolutely no question if they can kind of pull it together and get healthy. No, don't pack it in. Season's going to be fine. I still think we're going to be playing meaningful football in December. And as far as Jimmy Garoppolo, I think we've already kind of we've already talked about that. Yeah, it was his ankle. It was his knee. He's not going to be healthy for a long time. Let's just let's just face the facts. Yeah, you're not you're not going to see 100% Jimmy Garoppolo out on that field till probably the bye week because. He didn't take the amount of time. It, you know, if it was a real true high ankle sprain, he needs to take five, six weeks off for that thing to heal. He's back already. It's just going to prolong the injury. So it, but you have to do that at that point. It's ride or die time with Jimmy Garoppolo. All right. Well, that's all we have for you guys tonight. Um, we know it's a dark time. It was not a. Uh, it was not a Sunday to remember. But uh, as it's always darkest before the dawn. That's right. And uh, as they love to say in football, it's on to the Rams. And so we'll be previewing that game for you guys on Friday. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Again, if you haven't already, please go ahead and rate this podcast. Uh, Drop a review if you're... Drop a review if you're nasty. <laughs> um, share this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> share this podcast with a friend. We're trying to get our numbers up. We want to reach as many 49er fans as possible. As always, our DMs are open. If you want to provide feedback, uh, if you, you want to email us. Are you us, telling them to uh, slide up in them DMs? Uh, yeah, I would love for you guys to slide up in our DMs. Uh, and you know, if, if you're feeling saucy, you can email us. It's denim dungeon pod at gmail.com. But, uh, like I said, we will be back on Friday to preview that game against the Rams. But until then, bang, bang, Niner gang. Garoppolo fires. It is cold.